Podcast episode 206. This is Rugby Reg. Uh, joining me here tonight is Matt Gager. How are you, Matt? I'm very well, well mate. I'm, I'm out on holiday, so it's nice to be joining you from a re- relaxed surrounds. Have you uh, escaped the borders of New South Wales, or you? Oh, why would I do that? <laughs> Suspect as much. Um, I'm and okay. also, <laughs> good for you. Also with us is Hugh Cavill. How are you going, Hugh? I'm okay, Reg. Another another week of pretty good pretty good rugby. Um... I uh, yeah was impressed with the Waratahs Brumbies game to be honest. I actually didn't think the Reds did too badly either. So um, yeah, looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I agree. Well, plenty of chat there. Um, look, uh, we should recognise our sponsors again. Sporpool are back again. Gags. Yes, mate. They're um, continuing to sponsor us, and I just guess a way to think about Sporpool if you haven't heard us talk about it so far. It's basically an online marketplace for um, for rugby talent. And I guess the key headline here is that it's not just about people who are professional, although professionals do use it. It's, you know, for example, if you've got a son or you know a mate's son or someone like that who's a talented rugby player, maybe he's thinking about, you know, having a year or two overseas and would love to play rugby, that's the place to go. Likewise, if you're a club and you're thinking where are we going to get the next handy guy from, Sporpool's for you as well. It's free. Get stuck in. Good stuff. And thanks to Sporpool for their continued support. Um, look, guys, five <laughs> questions. To, sorry, that was terrible. Oh, but um, five questions tonight. Uh, we're going to run through and we, we touch on the games all the Aussies played um, and a bit more general. But um, first and foremost, first question is about the Melbourne Rebels or, or more specifically Melbourne Rugby. Um, the Rebels obviously thrashed on the hurric- by the Hurricanes in the weekend. That was uh, by the tune of 38-13. to 13, And we can touch on that if we need to. But I guess the real talking point was the quality of the playing surface. I mean, it's going to be a pretty big issue. They've hosted the Wallaby Tests uh, in just a, a couple of months' time. Hugh, should we be concerned about the state of this ground and, and even considering playing a Test match there? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I um, watched it on um, on Friday night and... You, you know, we so you occasionally see issues with grounds and, and scrums and being ripped up, and it's not particularly unusual. We've seen it. Suncorp's had some issues, and I know uh, the Sydney Football Stadium certainly had issues, as has Homebush. Um, but I've never seen anything quite that bad where it just looked like the players were, were you know, on sand. And actually, the Rebels scored their first try through a, a grubber, which basically was like, the old days of kicking to the you know the mud patch where yeah, they exactly. just uh, turned Julian Savi around and he just kind of got slipped in the sand and um, I think it was Dom Shipley went and, and, and yep. scored the try and 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 some of the scrums I mean that it was just ripping the turf to the point of, of you just wonder how how they're going to come back and look I'm I'm no I'm no agronomist um, I, I I'm not particularly sure what the problems are or if they can be fixed but. Um, uh, yeah, it's worrying science. I think I read today it might be some sort of disease that's in the grass. Um, but um, yeah, look, especially as Str- Wallabies England, it's going to be a pretty pretty physical, you know, encounter with a lot of scrums. I- I'm not sure how you can how you can, um, you know, with the international eyes on us. I'm not sure how you can have that surface dished up there. I think that, I think that's something that the AU's got to be asking questions about. 
Yeah, indeed, Matt. I mean, as you alluded to, this, this scrumming battle, scrummaging battle, Australia or England won't be too much, will it? It'll be pretty intense. And I can almost imagine Eddie Jones already um, uh, writing his complaint. Well, I mean, uh, Brumby Jack actually reminded us that, you know, back in 2008, I was, ac- I was actually at this game uh, where the Wallabies played the Barbarians at Wembley. And uh, that's where Matt Dunning did his Achilles and um, Sakopi Kepu uh, tore his pectoral muscle because um, they had the same sort of problem there where it was, I don't know what it was, it seemed to be a base of sand. Um, but, you know, just underlines that actually at this level, it's just, it's uh, straight out dangerous. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what, what, the, what the story is there. Is, is it down to just some sort of strange disease, is it? I don't know, mate. I haven't heard anything official, and I guess they'd be pretty much under wraps. But it's, um, again, anyone who's seen my backyard knows I'm no gardener, but it was pretty embarrassing. And, and I guess some guys in the forum today were saying it's those heavy sand-based uh, fields that they, you know, they utilise the sand substantially to help in the drainage, which is obviously a factor in Melbourne. But then it does is the grass just doesn't catch, and you just get these whole complete lumps or rolls coming on. And it, it's, you know, the ground's been spending more time on the field these days than the water boys. It's just, it's, it, it, you know, forget safety, and that's a paramount one, and I'm sure Rupert will deal with that. But it's embarrassing from a look perspective, you know, from this elite competition we're trying to sell it. It just looks terrible. Well, yeah, and I mean, look, the Rebels, I mean, that was just one of their problems on Friday night, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, they, they were pretty industrious, and, 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 you know, they had plenty of chances, plenty of time with the ball, but uh, they just couldn't do anything with it, and, and the Hurricanes just got hot for about half an hour. Well, actually, probably was about 60 minutes, really, and, and um, geez, made, made them look pretty poor at times. It was a bit of a disappointment, I thought. Mm. I've got to say, I, I've actually sent a text out copying in Adam Thompson, sort of saying he must be really, really enjoying his stay in Australia. So, so far he's going to join the Reds, watch them sink, and now after a bit of a uh, sort of a, a, a patch in the sun, the Rebels seem to be going in the same direction. But fair play to him, he came straight, he came back at me the next day and said, "No, I'm loving it, mate. Love what I do." Yeah, no, I've got no doubt. And he's still playing damn well too. He's a significant part of that that back row unit for the Rebels. Um, it's it's amazing to think that he's still producing, you know, pretty top-level footy too. Um, the other guy, you know, they did go down, but, uh, you know, Naivalu, um his comeback, I think it was caught in late. I think Inman might have pulled out late and Naivalu was meant to be on the bench and came in and started outside centre. But, geez, he was, he was great for his first full game back and, and, you know, looked dangerous, perhaps not quite up to full speed yet. But, um he was a real, real weapon for the uh, for the the rebels, and they've now lost Shipley for uh, I think the rest of the season. So they're going to need Naivalu firing, and got a combination of of Ellison and Naivalu in the centres. If they keep him there, it could be pretty dangerous. Mm. Well, could I? I mean, the one thing I thought was I know, for example, Hugh, you've given um, Sturzak a great raps, um, and I think just about everybody else is. I haven't personally seen it, and I actually thought when Mian came on. Um, he really sped things up. Suddenly it was some really fast passing, and I think the Rebels, was that when they managed to tack one back or get close anyway? Um, so, yeah, I thought it was just interesting. I thought, you know, some of the Rebels' game seemed to kind of just fall apart on Friday night. Yeah, it, it was weird. They just weren't there. I mean, I don't know. They, they had a lot of ball, and it's a classic. I mean, I got called out, I think, on, on my match report about stats and talking about someone like, you know, Luke Jones who had 18 hit-ups and well, 12 hit-ups, tackles yeah. and that sort of thing. And it's great. And But that kind of typified the Rebels where they had a lot of stats and I'm sure their stats are sensational, but actually what they did with it, you know, it was, was something else. 
and, and they weren't really making any inroads at all. Um, and it was a bit of a shame, really. Well, it's those two. I think Stuart Zaka, yeah, has quality. You know, he's had a fairly big off-season injury-wise. And the other one is Debrashini, who we've all got wraps on. I mean, I've got big wraps on him. But he hasn't taken that step up this year. In fact, it's, it's you know, they had this great promise a couple of years ago, and we would have all probably hoped for them to be at another level, ready to be thrown into the Wallaby jersey. But you just... You've just got to be a bit wary about it, and we're going to have a look at the wing position later on, but in a future podcast, we should look at that number nine jersey for the Wallabies because um, there's some real concerns about it, but when you take Cabelli and, and Matthews and out from the force, we're, we're relying on Phipps, which I'm happy with, but Frisbee and and, um, and Sturzak had to step up if, if Willie G doesn't come back over, so plenty of questions there to be, to be asked. So um, that sort of kicked us off in the first weekend, so big worries for the Rebels on field, but also of the field as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but I've got no doubt the the groundsmen um, will be under intense scrutiny this week. Um, hey, I just wanted to mention, I just saw the referee for this game was Brian Hoffman, um, the Hoff. Now, can I just... My wife stuck a hand up to volunteer to be my youngest son's uh, team referee this year, so he's under nine, so she went and did the coaching course or the referee course on Monday night. For you know, kids so uh, eight to twelve, Hoffman did it the whole two hour, three hour session out at the local suburban uh, rugby ground, which Bloody I thought hell. was just yeah, I thought it was just awesome for a um, you know, elite level referee to be <laughs> oh, giving right. back like he, that. So he took the course. He wasn't he. So he he was the one giving. Oh, no, he he, he, was, he wasn't turning up to learn how to coach how to referee nine year olds. No, he actually <laughs> thought, he, he thought, presented geez, you the course. Thought he would have done one by now, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> He, he managed leaning. to scoot through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my wife gave him a few tips. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I'm very impressed with that. He was down there giving the course and giving back to the code. Um, look, the, the next game from a from an Aussie perspective was the, the Brumbies Waratahs game, and and uh, this is another one. Waratahs went down twenty to twenty six, which I thought was a pretty good encounter. We want to talk about the flower experiment, but I guess broader question going on, and you you brought it up, and it's a valid point. We sometimes. Um, gloss over this uh, is uh, best derby we've had for a while. Well, yeah. reckon, Hugh? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it, I think it really was. I mean, my memory is pretty short with these sort of things, and and um, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you much about the other derbies this year. And I think that might tell you something actually that that <laughs> they, they've been pretty forgettable. Um, but uh, I, I really like this game, and I think the the twenty five thousand that were at uh, the SFS thought so too. It was really good energy. Um, you know, it was up tempo, a lot of you know skills, and you know had sort of four tries scored from roughly halfway, and and some you know look, it wasn't it wasn't perfect. It wasn't um, you know all razzle dazzle all the time. But I thought both sides were really willing, and you could tell they were they were playing with a lot of feeling and a lot of energy. Um, you know, the Waratahs with this season more or less on the line, and the Brumbies probably as well. You know, and then. Um, without David Pocock and Itavaya and, and a few other things motivating them, so I, I thought um, it was a, it was a really good clash at the end, and 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 won by the better team. The Brumbies edged it out in, in in a pretty what ended up being a pretty tight contest, and and you know the Waratahs fans are normally a pretty pessimistic bunch, but even look the ones that were there at the game, I didn't think um, you know I thought still enjoyed it and still gave the team a pretty good rap at the end of it. You know, recognizing it was a, it was a pretty hard fought clash. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I thought it was good quality. I, I thought it was, you know, played it pretty 
um, high speed, decent skill level. Um, I, I really enjoyed the encounter. I was surprised. I read a few reviews, people disappointed, but I think you know there's a lot of people out there who who uh, like to put the boot into anything Australian rugby at the moment. Uh, Gags, what was your reading of the game before we get into a bit of detail of uh, the that outside centre clash? Well, I mean, actually, it was interesting. Um, it probably depends when you tuned in, because I uh, missed the first half and then ended up down at the local recreation club down here um, for a few schooners while I watched the second half. And it was pretty... <laughs> it was actually... The second half was a bit dismal in the point, yeah. you know, in that there was a lot of energy going in, but there's just classic... 2016 Tars happening where, you know, if they didn't botch the line out, then, you know, and if they didn't knock it on, then the Brumbies did a great job of disrupting them at the, the, the breakdown. And um, it just, you know, made for an intensely frustrating half of footy where, um, well, the Tars only scored three points. Did the Brumbies score a try in that second half? I guess. Yeah, I think, I think Joe Tamani scored one of his tries in the yeah. second half. Yeah, exactly. I think it was at the beginning of the half. So the rest of the half was this kind of frustrating. Um, kind of null fest that the Brumbies did really, really well at. But then I finally sat down during the weekend and watched the first half and said, oh, I, I can see what Hugh was on about. He's not just on crack. Um, <laughs> and, um, not and, just and, on crack. I mean, I yeah, exactly. On, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, and I thought there was, you know, look, there was a lot of skill in there from um, from both sides, uh, I think. From, but, again, I just think you, you just – it's this thing of you just think, well, the – the Waratahs, it's hard to know. Are they on the way up or are they on the way down? Because there's so much in their play that you still go as wow, despite having one, well, maybe even both hands tied behind their back with no no line out, very strange ruck defence, um, you know, and, and bugger all kicking game, um, you know, a scrum that's slowly coming back and just getting just about passable. And yet they can still run someone like the Brumbies really close and they were within a, a you know, a score at the end of the game. It's, it's, a, it's a strange one. It's funny. It, it reminds me, and look, maybe again, this is the optimist in me, in me, you know, looking to try and think that the Tars are on the way up, but it does remind me of the 2013 Tars, you know, that year before they really clicked and, and, you know, I think they went about, you know, mid-table, probably about 50% win-loss ratio. And, you know, they had that thing of they were getting close to teams, but they just, that last pass wasn't sticking. They just weren't putting it together. Um, but you felt like something was there, and they created enough opportunities that if they started taking them, they'd be a really good team. And that was what ended up happening in 2014. Um, so, look, I, I kind of hope that that's what we are, as opposed to, you know, just any other iteration of the TARS where, you know, it proved to be, um, you know, unfounded. Our hope proved to be unfounded. But, um, look, they're, they're scoring points and they're getting into scoring positions and, and they're doing enough good things that and then botching know, it. keeps me optimistic. And they're discovering some good players who are doing some good things. So, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's still frustrating. I mean, you see see them just in the set piece. The line-out was a shambles and... You know, you keep making excuses for them, but they, they keep getting close and they keep putting themselves there. So, you know, you've got to think, hopefully it's just around the corner. It's it's that clinical edge, isn't it? That's that's the thing that, you know, puts a, a championship team aside. And that's what the Reds had in 211. And that's what, you know, the Tars clearly had in, in 214, where they could just destroy teams and things came off and things worked and, you know, clinical. It was just so precise. And that's the most obvious thing with this Tarzi unit at the, at the moment, that it just it does look a bit shambolic. 
shambolic at times. They can click things together every now and again, but a lot of the times it just looks a little bit shambolic. So, look, let's talk about the big one. Was There's a lot of chat. There's been chat for a little while about when would Izzy play 13. He's going to get a chance, and it's finally happened, I guess, officially with the numbers on his back with Andrew Kellaway making a starting debut at fullback. Matt, what was your read on, on Izzy at 13? Well, look, you know, I'm not the most astute of back watchers, I've got to say. But, um, look, I think the consensus seemed to be he was all right in attack and had a few little worries in, in defence. Um, you know, but he was marking, marking uh, Kuradrani, who's, you know, one of our better attacking 13s and harder guys to stop. Um, I think and Kuradrani managed to get kind of on the outside of him with the fend a couple of times. Uh, but, you know, if that's your first proper run out at 13, I didn't think it was a... I didn't think it was a disaster. Um, I'm not sure that I thought it kind of blew me away as in terms of all the options it was giving us or um, stuff that was making happen. You know, making happen. Um, I probably felt it was a bit, just a bit of a damp squib, really. It, it was just more of Izzy not obviously at his best this year or not fitting into a team or, or sorry. It- um. Look, I, I thought, yeah, Falau at 13, it was a bit of a fizzer. He just didn't get many opportunities with with ball in hand and none, none of that classic outside centre sort of stuff that we used to seeing from Kurandrani and Ashley Cooper before. Look, look, I'm not sure. I'm still not sold on it. I don't know why we move him from fullback. He's the best under the high ball. I thought Andrew Kellaway was pretty good at fullback and, you know, maybe there's some merit in I'm not sure. But, um, look, the task biggest problems are in the forward pack and they just didn't give him enough space or time for him to do his thing. And as long as you're getting knocked back in the, in the contact like our forwards were, then it doesn't matter who you have at outside centre, really. Um, but, yeah, look, uh, I'm still not sold on it. I'll, I'll wait and see more evidence. But um, I don't know why we move our best fullback in, into the centres for the sake of it. Any idea when Rob Horn's back? Because that's a big factor in terms of... Uh, this weekend, I think, potentially. Yeah, right, OK. Yeah, and I think they're talking about yeah playing him on the wing. Oh, are they? And keeping Izzy at 13? Yeah, I think that was the chat in the press anyway. Yeah, okay. um, but, I mean, look, the, probably the other thing we should probably touch on is Eddie Jones's crack at um, Daryl Gibson. I think that happens in our last podcast. Uh, the return serve. I didn't see that. Tell us. Oh, Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones has got a crack at everyone, though, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, classic I've Eddie. lost track. It's one of those... It's hard thing, hard to discuss because it was honestly the whole article and he just... I think I think it was Ian Payton on Twitter who said he hasn't just come off, off the long run. He's come off the long run, bowled a 12-over spell. You know, he, he's... Um, <laughs> He's oh, he just went at everyone. The bloody you know Wallabies, the Super Rugby, ARU, Gibson, yeah, everyone. Well, I mean, I think the main thing in there was that Gibson had sort of laid the blame for all of Australia's Australia's yeah. attacking rugby woes at, at Eddie's door, and then which, so I, Eddie which had... I don't think which I don't think he did in his defence. I, I think he was slightly taken out of context. But anyway, no, no journalist would do that. We wouldn't do that to someone. And then. Um, yeah, and so Eddie obviously had to, he couldn't let that lie. So he basically came back and said, I mean, pretty, I mean, yeah, you, you wouldn't expect any less, I don't think. But basically he said, oh, this is, you know, this is coming from a guy who's only coaching the tars on the coattails of Czech, um, doesn't have the talent, and in fact is trying to make the tars play like a poor Kiwi team. Which, which this is the bit that I thought was really interesting because I'm not quite sure how, just how different this tars is playing than the tars for the last two years. Um, because Jones went on to say, whereas Czech had him playing as a really smart Australian attacking rugby, um, you know, that Gibson's turning him into a, you know, a poor Kiwi side. So yeah, that's really it, interesting. Yeah. It was an interesting 
interesting thing he said, I don't know if he's actually been watching any of the TARS or he just thought, I'll just throw that one in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we'll expect more from Eddie over the uh, over the coming months, which is, uh, I think he actually suggested that the uh, you should be paying in commission for any ticket sales. <laughs> um, so good for Eddie. Uh, look, the other big performer in that Brumbies-Waratah game was uh, Joe Tamani. He scored a hat-trick, obviously. Um, so I thought it was a good opportunity. We we're going to do this last week, but thought it, it segues nicely this week. Is we're going to start looking at some of these Wallaby positions. It's only six weeks away, I think, from that first test or close enough. So let's start chatting about some of that, uh, some of our Wallaby makeup in um, for that English series. And, and with uh, Cooper, Ashley Cooper, and Mitchell were the incumbent uh, wingers from the World Cup. I'm guessing they're not going to play. I, I don't think we really know what's happening with the UK. But let's look at the wing position and. and Tamani, would, he'd be a heads-up start. Hugh, who, who would you be looking at for the wing for the Wallabies? Yeah, obviously Tamani, he's, he's the outstanding candidate at the moment. Um, yeah, the second wing spot is, is pretty open. I've got to say, um, you know, a guy like Rob Horn's probably got uh, the runs on the board um, at Wallaby level, and I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Checker um, starts with him. But um, there's a, plenty of guys floating around. I mean, you've got um, Dane Haylett Petty, who we've discussed um from the force, I mean, even Luke Morahan from the force is looking half decent. You've got um, Henry Spate, who I think might be um, hopefully returned from injury by then. You've got um, who else? There's you know Carmichael Hunt and Eto Nabuli. Well, I'm not quite sure what his eligibility is. Um, and um, yeah, there's, oh, I would have said Dom Shipley as well, but unfortunately he's done his ACL on Saturday, so he's out for the year, which is a bit of a shame. But um, yeah, Tom English is there too. There's there's a lot of candidates, Rich. Um, um, yeah, yeah, good one, Hugh. Look, I think Tamani Nabul is the interesting one. I didn't hadn't considered his eligibility, but I'm going to assume he is eligible. Um, but Tamani's a standout. Looking at that Sansa website and and some of the stats there, Tamani just to leads the pool in terms of the and it's hard how to define a good winger, but sort of meters per carry, clean breaks per carry, defenders beaten per carry. He's just sort of gapping everyone um, on most metres per carry, almost 10 metres per carry. That clean breaks per carry, he's every second run he's, he's making a clean break effectively um, and, and defeat his, de- defenders beaten as well. The guy who's pushing him is Nabuli, absolutely, metres per carry and clean breaks per carry. Um, but the other one up there is Tommy English. Tommy English just seems to be doing pretty well. And the other thing that English has going to him is he's got a really low mistake rate. So turnovers are pretty damn low. So, you know, it's all stats and all that sort of stuff. You've got to think there's got to be some balance there. I, I can't see them chucking Nabuli in for this test series. He's got a high mistake rate. He's still learning the game. He's, I think he's got huge potential and, and could end up on that end of year tour. But uh, I don't think he's going to be chucked in the Wallaby jersey just yet. We're going to have to wait to see how spate goes when he gets back, but I'd suggest it might be Tamani definitely in one wing, and, and perhaps Spate, as you say, Rob Horn in the other. Matt, is there anyone else we're, we're not considering? Well, I just guess, for me, I kind of just, in my head, have to go through what is it that you want out of a winger these days. Um, there seems to be a number of different roles you can have. You've usually got somebody who's, you know, your classic blindside winger, 
um, uh, you know, strong in defence. But then I think most people usually want somebody who can make shit happen, you know, who with not a lot of space or with not a lot on can actually, you know, make a break and kind of turn a game around. And, you know, you, you think about the sort of people you've, you've seen like that in world rugby. Um, Shane Williams used to be one, you know, mm. as, a little, as a little guy. He could just make shit happen um, from nowhere. Um, and then you've got, you know, in the modern day, whether it's Julian Surveyor or Nia Nemani Nadolo, um, maybe more at a super rugby level, but the sort of guys maybe through their size can just, you know, make stuff happen. Obviously, Jonah was one of those as well. And if you look at then from an Australian perspective, I think Rob Horn has played, and then, and also um, Adam Ashley Cooper played that blindside winger, who was that guy yeah. who was just really solid in defence. You could rely on 10 out of 10 times. Um, I think both of those guys played that really, really well. The question is, who's the guy who makes shit happen? Um, so, you know, for a while, you know, Digby used to do that for the Reds, and he did that for the Wallabies for a while as well, when, especially when Quaid was at 10. Um, so who's that guy now? I think the idea was that it was going to be Henry Spate, but at an international level, whether it's through injuries or whatever else it was, that just hasn't happened. His form doesn't seem to be what it was. Um, and then, you know, you look at the game on the weekend, it looks like, I agree with you, Tamani's probably the guy who's closest to filling that. Um, I kind of feel a lot of those other guys you were mentioning, like the Tom Englishes and those sorts of things, are more down the dependable track rather than the guys yeah, who, who, yeah. who are going to light something up. So, but, you know, and the, the question I think with Tamani at an international level has always been, you know, so far he's he's gotten found out, you know, sort of positional play, um, just decision-making or hands at the very top level. Um, but maybe that's just time and he's gotten through that. Um, he's certainly, you know, all those attributes you talked about, you know, just the, the, the leg drive um, and that the, you know, the power he can put through people who are attempting to tackle. Um, yeah, between him and Spate, they're the only two guys, I think, on the scene at the moment. Well, two things, two things I want to say. Firstly, look, Tamani, in his history, and he's got a lot to prove this year because I think in the past, I think he's a bit of a flat-track bully. You know, he, he plays well in Super Rugby, and Henry Spate's a bit similar. Yep. Plays well in Super Rugby. And Tamani, look, he's had a few good tests, a couple, one notable one in Argentina, I can remember. Yep. Um, but, you know, in those really big games, he t he's tended to be a bit quiet and, you know, reminiscent of that Lions test where he had an absolute nightmare in that third game. But that was a few years ago, admittedly. But the, the other thing I'd say is, as a suggestion, a bit of a left-field one, but one Michael Checker might be considering, is putting Kurtley Beal at fullback and moving Israel Folau to the wing. Now, given Folau's form is not, you know, 100% where it should be, and Beal is probably in great, you know, Beal had a great game, and I think he's in, in quite good form. Um, and do you try and get him in the team somewhere at fullback? You have Matt Tamura at 12, and you just have basically our all of our stars in the back line, you know, at, at one time. Uh, well, I think that... I think that I think so, man. I was just going to say because the one thing, you know, even my my combinations, all these combinations, most of them we've met, we've mentioned is, you know, you chuck Falau back there and and Tamani and whoever it is, whether it be Horn or Spate, is it really limits that kicking game, and and particularly when you're without um, Giddo from the World Cup, uh, mm. and and we mentioned Mitchell and even Ashley Cooper, they are all guys that could, uh, in some way or the other, get you out of trouble with a boot, a couple of left booters in there, and that's a real loss I reckon they'll be looking for. So the Beal option in the back three I reckon has a lot of merit. 
No, and, and, you know, if you remember that whole year leading up to the World Cup, you know, just about every article Bob Dwyer did was arguing yeah. for Beal, yeah. was arguing for Beal on the wing. Was, yep. You know, for a lot of those reasons, um, just saying, you know, you've got to keep Falau at the back. Beal's probably not quite so good on the high ball anyway. Um, but as somebody who can inject himself, come off a wing and suddenly be going through the middle, um, you know, why not? Yeah, no, he's, he's, I, I agree with you, Hugh. I thought he was fantastic on, um, uh, on Saturday night. Perhaps not man of the match quality, but he was still excellent. So we'll, um, we'll see. <laughs> how that disagree. There. <laughs> um, but we'll, uh, we'll get on the way there. So look, Tamani's got one and, and perhaps Beal might snag that other one. If not, Falau being moved uh, to the side. And, you know, that might be a whole other discussion we have another time in terms of where does Falau play and what, who fills a gap because there, there are some options there as well. Um, let's move on to the next one. We had um, the Reds and the Bulls over in Pretoria and the Bulls again winning that one. I think the score was 40 or to 22. Um, interesting game. The Reds scored an early try in the first few minutes. Uh, I tell you what, Ant Fainga... He's got a little bit of flack. I know Greg Martin gave him a hard time in the commentary that he doesn't make many metres, but he's, I, I don't, can't remember him, um, I think since 2.11. I've seen him make you know, line breaks, and he did it this game, and he did it a couple of weeks ago with the Highlanders. And this game, a couple of offloads. He was critical offloads to, to the, the two tries, uh, or two of the tries we scored this weekend. So we scored early, then the Bulls came back, scored a couple of tries. Um, and uh, Karevi scored a couple of good tries for us in the second half, which got us close before the Bulls ran away with it. And as I say, the score was 41-22. You know, there's probably an an illusion of of competitiveness in the middle there, but in the end, the Bulls were pretty much in control. Uh, Jake Schatz going off injured, and we've lost him for six weeks, I think it is, with a knee injury. So that's uh, that's a concern for us. Um, But with Rob Swins back this week, we should be okay. Uh, some way or the other, but the big talking point out of this was was Gilly's field goal. So closing seconds of half time, apparently he heard the call that uh, it's still what 40 40 metres plus out on the angle. Heard the call that we had the advantage. He's at first receiver and snaps a cracker field goal that I reckon was you know still going 15 metres beyond the uh, beyond the 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 goalpost. There, did you get to see this one, Matt? I, I didn't see the game, but I've seen a, a replay of that drop goal, and it was yeah, it was taken beautifully. I think he's come out in the press the last couple of days saying he's been practicing it for twelve months, so he's he's not that surprised the fact that he can do it. And the reaction here was the best, wasn't it? He just sort of turned around and, and jogged off. Yeah, he jogged off, and I think the commentator said at the time, "Look at him; he just wants to make it out like he just does that all the time." <laughs> I mean, I. I I'd love to think if I was in that situation, I'd do the same thing. But um, <laughs> I'd probably be um, just, yeah, making sure everyone saw it. But, um, yeah, look, oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Look, I think the Reds, I, I was actually pretty impressed with the Reds' performance. I mean, it's maybe a bit defeatist, but, you know, I don't think anyone was really expecting them to win that game. And, and the Bulls just got a rumble on and actually started sticking the passes. And once those forwards yeah. start going forward, it's so hard to stop. But, um the Reds held their own pretty admirably and, um, you know, gutsed it out in the end. And, and, and I think it was 20 to 27 at one point. Yeah. And you know, yes. they got back um, into the game and you thought, oh, hang on, you know, the comeback might be on here. But then then the then the Bulls, you know, scored a runaway try and kind of put it away. But, um, no, they kept it really competitive, I thought. Yeah, look, it's a fair analysis. But I guess, you know, it, it's been a long time. We're, we're, we're looking to move on from... 
um, potential and promise. We, we, we want to get a few yeah. more results in the bag and we'll see how we go this weekend. But we're going back to that ghillie point and it brings us to our number four question and it's along ghillie's kicking the field goal. It's uh, our favourite forward being a back moment. Uh, so, you know, those times when one of the big lumberers did something a bit unusual that caught the eye. Hugh, have you got any particular ones that you uh, you can remember? Yeah, a couple, a couple. Um, I look. The first one I've got to start with is just a general one, but I, I really bemoan the lack of forward goal kickers these days. You know, the days of John Eels getting out the, the sand bucket and and um, kicking for goal. I mean, they were great days. Toe, toe punting. Well, he wasn't. I he didn't so much toe punt. I think, or well, in the end, that famous kick in two thousand and one was a was a lovely one with the side of the beautiful beach, but, one. Yep. You know that that's that's sad. I, I can't. I couldn't name you another forward goal kicker other than him, to be honest. But I knew there was a there were a few. But um, Scott Higginbotham is great. Scott Higginbotham has a lot of them actually. But one I can remember quite vividly a few years ago from the Rebels was when um, the Rebels had a penalty on the sort of left hand side of the field, probably about ten in from touch. And you thought, oh, they might just kick this. You know, they're on about the twenty two. You thought they might just kick this into the corner and have a line out. And Scott Higginbotham looked up, took the tap, and launched this drop punt cross kick um, across to I think it was Dom Shipley or one of the wingers, <laughs> um, who was way unmarked on the other wing, and it was just sensational vision. And then he hit the hit the kick perfectly, and Shipley just caught it and, and dived over and scored. And I, I think that was that was a really um, never seen a forward cross kick um, successfully like that. And so I think it was the vision and the execution I was I was impressed with with that one. Mm. Well, can I just say, I'm going to jump in here and just say, yeah, like, yeah. This, this is like an oxymoron. Like, you know, there is no favourite time when I've seen a forward yeah, doing something yeah, like a back. It's, no, 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 it's, they're all terrible. Oh, so, oh yeah, you old grout. Oh. Yeah, they should be yeah. banned. They should be absolutely fucking banned. And oh, so, grump, grump rallies back yeah, this week. Well, you're now an honorary, honorary Queenslander there, Cavill, with your <laughs> love for Higgers. Um, hey, hey, I got someone wrote a comment on one of my articles that I hated him today, and that was what, you know, <laughs> I, I I used to hate Higgers. I I don't I don't remember that. <laughs> he's, he's confusing it with me or Bob Dwyer. I think. <laughs> hey, anyway, it's a long list, really. But, but look, look, if I have to grin and bear it with this, then um, yeah, I, yeah, Higgers was a treasure trove for those sorts of things. But I remember him doing. He yeah, yet again found himself on the wing, um, <laughs> and I think it was in like a 2011 Bledisloe game, and where he did like a chip kick over the winger. Oh yeah, uh, that was great. Yeah, and did he end up scoring a try off that? I can't yeah, he was. Uh, he scored a really good try from a chip and chase, but it was, it was, it was in a scenario where the game was already lost. I think it was. I thought it was that Samoa game. Yeah, you're right. Right, you're right. It was the Samoa. He came game. off the it bench. Wasn't a, it yeah. wasn't a. but that was it. That was the game. Yeah, well, I think so because I actually had to dig out. Um, it was one of our uh, match. Uh, you know the player ratings, Hugh, that you did, and your your he came off the bench, and your rating for him, you know, had the words in it. Just wish he'd stop chip kick, chip kicking. Actually, <laughs> so maybe that's where the hate, you know, that's where the people perceive the hate has come from. Uh, but when I was actually looking through uh, YouTube trying to find any vision for that, what I did find was 2001, Victor Macfield playing for the Bulls against the Waratahs. Um, I think he takes off from a ruck. Um, and there's only one person, I think it's Matt Burke in front of him, and he chip kicks him. Um, oh regathers gosh. and scores under the posts. I was going to say Victor Matfield because he did it in a, yeah. in a test. He did too, that's what I was yeah. saying. Yeah. against yeah. us, I'm pretty sure. Yep, yep. yep. And he, he basically chipped and chased and he caught it, and as he was getting tackled from behind, he offloaded to someone who scored. Mm. 
yeah. So no, no, old Vic. I mean, yeah, he was a he, you know he had a lot of talent as well. So um, yeah, look, that, that's the one. Yeah, I've... that's great. I love. Look, I love. You know, the fat guys running. I love the. I love Holmes as Greg Holmes as try. The you know the sixty meter effort. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I still watch that. And just I just think it's hilarious. I just don't understand how he doesn't get run down. Um, and. I'm going to say Matt Dunning, but not fully, not for the drop goal, but for that same. Oh no, it was it was one of his debut seasons. It was when I was living in Sydney, and I got to see him sort of come through the ranks a bit. And I think it was his first season or second season. He actually took two intercepts. Yeah, intercepts. I remember that. Yeah, and they the yeah. were hilarious. That was so fun, and it was like he just didn't like he had some good skill and one. He you know he had a bit of pace and put a pass away, but he, you know he just didn't know. He got lost. Um, didn't know what to do once he had the ball, but they were hilarious, isn't it? And then, you know, it took me back to, to, to Rob Simmons's try last year, was it, in the World Cup versus England, I think, early on, where he just, the big giraffe, he just, he looks so unusual yeah, running. Argentina. Just, yeah, that's Argentina, yeah, Argentina, of course, yeah. yeah. I just love watching the big guys run. I think it's hilarious. Well, there's the smile on his face. But Dunning always just have that look on his face, like, will someone please catch up with me? I don't know what to do next. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get me, they're going to get me, someone well, catch well, up. That, well, that was great because, I mean, anyone and Reg, I think the three of us, or anyone who's plays in the forwards, mm. you know, the, the amount, you know, on the very rare occasion that you make a line break yeah. and there's clear air in front of you, there's nothing more terrifying, nothing more terrifying. <laughs> what do I do now? I need to find someone to run into. <laughs> exactly, or I've, I've been known to just sort of hoof it downfield mind, <laughs> mindlessly. Because you, know, you just you just go completely to your mind goes to, to jelly. You got no idea what to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Well, I tell you, the yeah. other person I was going to put in there though, who um, has a lot of those skills, is obviously Scott uh, Greening God Rugby's own Scott Fardy. Uh, he loves a kick, um, that's for sure. Because I mean, I think we found out on our podcast he used to play twelve um, right up until pro. Um, so yeah, you see him acting a bit too much like a back quite often. Yeah, yeah, he's had a few of those offloads. So the, the other one we should mention out of respect is Zinzan Brook. I remember, that, you know, the 95 oh, World Cup God. final. That is similar to Gilly, the 45-metre dropout, getting a, I think he got a 22 um, dropout and in return served with a 45-metre field goal. You know, I think Jonah had already scored uh, three or four tries. So it wasn't the final, was it? It was the semi-final versus England. So, um, yeah. But uh, Zinzan was pretty superbly talented as well. All right, let's move on. Last burning question. This is uh, moving out of the Australian conference. This is very uncharted territory for me in particular, looking at that African conference. But our new teams this year, the Sunwolves, the Kings, the Jaguars, they all sit on the bottom of the conference, the South African conference, with just two wins between them. Um, so I guess a couple of questions here. Are the new teams a failure? And two, have these South African teams been given an unfair leg up considering they get to play the, the rookies? Hugh? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, there's a wider point to be made here about this comp. And look, I think I said or we said at the start of the season that we'll wait and see how it turns out. But the, I think the Drew's come back. I, I think it's a failure. It's a dud. I, I've, I've checked out of the whole South African conference, to be honest. I couldn't tell you who's on top. I couldn't tell you, you know, I know that the Sunwolves are, are pretty, you know, pretty rubbish. I know that the Jags are struggling to, to get a win. Um, and... You know, I, I just I just don't care anymore. I think with 15, you could kind of keep tabs on what every team was doing or at least try. But I think with 18, it's just pushed it out. And now it's just, you know, reached a critical mass where I only care about the Australian teams and the New Zealand ones now. 
couldn't give a stuff what South African teams are doing. And I think they do get an unfair advantage. I think it's they're getting cheap games with the Kings who who are, who are terrible. They've got the and then the the um, Sunwolves who are terrible. I mean, we're absolutely biting biting it every week with these New Zealand teams coming over and kicking the living shit out of us mm-hmm. because they're sensational. Meanwhile, the South African the cheaters. The, the cheaters who were the probably the second yep. worst side over there are putting ninety on the Sunwolves. I mean, look, it's not good for the Sunwolves, and it's probably not good for the cheaters either. But you know, it, you, you've got to scratch your head. And, and and if I was the Force or the Rebels or even the Waratahs or the Reds, you know, what what I wouldn't do for a couple of cheap wins like that? Yeah, I think I think you're bang on, particularly. The, my interest level, I'm the same as you, my interest level in that conference or awareness factor even, you know, you, you, you've you got to prioritise and, and that sort of stuff is just low down the priority of the, the African conference at the moment, which is a shame. Matt, what about you? What's your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the same space. I think I declared my hand at the beginning of the season to say I didn't know how the bloody hell I was going to keep up with this whole thing. I'm barely keeping up with the Aussie conference. How do you keep up with that other stuff? Um, I've seen almost zero games. Um, I'd love to. Like, I'd love to know what's going on with the Jaguars um, and maybe a bit of, you know, a bit of pinging um, as well. But, um, you know, just you, you can't keep track of it. Um, so, yeah, it's just made it all a bit of, bit of a nonsense, really. But, you know, you sit here and you look at these different – these these different kind of groups, and you just you can see why the South African power brokers have loved it because you know they're guaranteed a couple of a couple of positions which they've always bitched on about, um, but you know with no real competition, um, you know, you know to to test them in terms of getting there. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I, I guess the Jaguars. I think a few of us probably anticipated. I know I definitely thought they'd be better than they have now, and they've had a few close ones, but it's. Uh, it's uh, it's a shame, and it's all too easy for um, for a few in that South African conference at the moment. Look, that's going to wrap us up for our top five burning questions. We'll just quickly go through the round this weekend before we jump on some other news. The Highlanders are hosting the Sharks on Friday before the Rebels take on the Cheaters. That'll be an interesting one. Uh, Matt Rebels hosting the Cheaters at Melbourne on the Sandpit there. Um, Cheaters on the back of a 90-point win over the, the Sunwolves. What do you think? The Rebels bounce back? Yeah, I reckon the Rebels should be able to give this a good go. I mean, the Cheaters are travelling. It's, it's hard to know. I haven't seen the Cheaters play much. Um, but usually in their first game, they, they suck a bit. So, yeah, I reckon the Rebels could give this a shot. you the same, Hugh? Yeah, you've got to hope. The Rebels need this win. I mean, if they lose, that's, that's curtains for them. Cheaters can tend to travel well, but they've lost a lot of talent since last year, and they've been battling for wins. Um, but then again, beating the Sunwolves by 90 can't hurt. So, um, yeah, look, uh, I think it might be a close game, actually, but I hope the Rebels can edge it. Yeah, me too. Okay, next game, Sunwolves versus the Jaguars, speaking of them, over in Tokyo there. So one of them's going to get off the off the uh, the mark there. At least I think the Jaguars have won one, but the Sunwolves might get a chance. We'll see how they bounce back after a 90-point thrashing. If, the, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, <laughs> does the tree fall? Yeah, exactly right. Hurricanes hosting the Chiefs before the Force and the Waratahs. So the Waratahs, they finally get a taste of Western Australia. So off to um, to, to NIB Stadium in Perth. How are you feeling about this one, Hugh? Oh, I'm, not, I'm not confident about this. The Force are a real bogey team for us. We lost two, uh, our two fixtures against them last year. Um, they just stifle us. They strangle us and they drag us into this sort of knockdown, draw-out battle. Um, and um, 
look, I, I think it'll be really close and it's probably not going to be a particularly pretty game. I hope the Waratahs will edge it in the end. And, and you think, look, on paper they should win the game by 30, but the force just tend to grow a bit when the Waratahs come over and that crowd bang for blood. So, look, uh, as much as you know, we all love the force here and the force are, are, are all our uh, second team, of course, because you know, we love our, our friends over there, but... Uh, uh, look, I, I think I think the Tars will get it by about by less than a try. Uh, what about you, Matt? Well, I think the uh, Force are going to make that just an absolutely shit awful breakdown mess, aren't they? Um, and that's exactly what put the Waratahs off um, just this last weekend. As it turns out, the referee is going to be Rowan Hoffman. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm trying to get my, trying to get my head around what I think of that. Actually, I thought he let. What was the game? Which game was he refing? He was was he refing that? Rebel, he did the rebels. Hurricane. Yeah. So I thought he let that turn into a bit of a mess. I thought I think a lot of the refs have been letting these the breakdowns turn into mess. Um, that that whole penalty, uh, which was which came back a year or two ago, which is around you know players taking the space, like especially Kiwi players always do, just managed to get themselves past the ball, not really bound on to anyone, just getting in the way. Um, that seems to be back, and well, that penalty seems to have disappeared. So that seems to be another thing to happen um, at the moment. So, look, we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the Force are going to make it really, really tough. You would hope the Tars have enough points in them and the Force don't have enough to make it happen, but who knows? Yep, Bendwell says Force obviously fresh off a buy, so we'll see how they go there. Um, the Stormers, the Reds are playing the Stormers in Cape Town later that night. Um, as I said, Jake Schatz will be out. We assume that... Curtis Browning will just start. I think we've flown over Waiter Setu, but I assume Rob Simmons will be back. He'll start. Ben Matchawale, who started last week, will just be on the bench as a as a backup back rower. Other Setu or young Luke and Tui will uh, be on the bench. So I wouldn't expect many changes uh, to that team that played last week versus the Bulls. Whether they can bounce up back against the Storms, who lost against the Lions last week, I'm not too sure. Anyone got any thoughts on this one? I think I think the, I hope with Robert Simmons back, a little bit more sort of experience in that pack might help. You ne- you never know. Look, the Stormers have uh, again. I haven't seen any of the Stormers so far this year, but they have. Yeah, you know, they're not obviously as strong as they've been in previous years. Uh, I I think the Reds could be a shot of stealing this one. I, I, as, as you say, Reds, we've got to start expecting a bit more of them, and, and yeah. So I hope they can be right in this one. Yeah, there's an all all South African refereeing panel, so good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not Stuart Berry, is it? A few good juicy TMO calls. No, um, Sean Velsman on the TMO and referee Marius van der Um Kings playing the Lions in Port Elizabeth and then on Sunday, which I assume is a Sunday afternoon game, Brumbies are hosting the Crusaders in Canberra, which is, uh, I guess it's always an, it's all a, an Anzac round, but this is the true Anzac match closest to the day. Um, this should be a bit of a cracker. Matt? Yeah, you'd hope so, right? I think this really will be one of those ones that shows where the Brumbies are. Um, yes. You know, it's not a derby. It's um, outside talent. Um, yeah, you get to see how they're actually travelling. Is When's Poey back? Is he? Is this the last one he's out for? Yeah, it's the last one he's out yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, because I think that, that would have been pretty handy to have him back. So, look, we'll see. I've <laughs> uh, I've seen bugger all of the Crusaders, um, although they seem to be doing notching up a few wins. So, um, yeah, I'd hope the Brumbies can hold on to this one. But, you know, the Crusaders are always competitive. 
Well, the big one for them was Israel Dag back last week, and just I don't know if you saw it, Hugh, but he he looked pretty slick, uh, Smick, and 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 if anything faster. So um, the Brumbies will be have to be on top of their game. Yeah, he was he looked great, didn't he? I mean, the Crusaders. They've notched a couple of wins, but again against the Jaguars as against the Force, they didn't look super convincing doing it. But they just look—they're—they're they're, they're so reliable. The Crusaders—they'll turn up and they'll—they'll they'll play that classic side-to-side style that they do, and they'll give you a good performance every time. And you've got to be on your game to beat them. Um, this is one of those games where, again, look—I think we're going to say this now for the Brumbies for the next few weeks, but. They just they just need to win these games, you know. If they want to be a premiership contender, they don't want to, you know. And I think they need to be with with the amount of talent they've got going off over, overseas next year. They can't settle for second this year, you know. They, they've got to get up yeah, and start winning these, yeah. and 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 it, it means they've got to beat New Zealand teams like this when they're, you know. It means they've got to go undefeated at home. It you know it it means these sort of middling New Zealand teams, which the Crusaders are, admittedly. You know, they're still a great team. They need to win this game, and and um, anything less than a than a five to ten point victory, I think, would be disappointing. Yep, yep. They need to do it for Michael Jones. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, look, that wraps up the round. A quick uh, bit of news: we obviously had a bit of sevens in the weekend. Matt, you can turn off for the time being. Hugh, the uh, the men finished seventh in what was probably our one of our more disappointing tournaments. Obviously, a lot of players out injured, injured at the same time. The women finished third in Langford, which I hear is in Canada. I wasn't aware of that. But um, women finished third with a really young squad. Um, so I still think that's a pretty good result. What's your general take on the, the sevens results from the weekend past? Um, sevens, well, look, the men's... I think getting to the quarterfinals was a decent enough achievement considering we were very light on talent in that team. Um, and... Uh, yeah, James Stannard had to sort of bear a lot of the a lot of the brunt of, of our playmaking, and I'm not sure mm. he's quite up to that these days. But um, yeah, so to, to get through, and, and we lost to Fiji just in the end, they ran us down in that quarterfinal. And yeah, that was unlucky. We, we was, looked really good that game. In fact, I thought. Yeah, we did. So look, I, I think it it um, with Jesse Parahi coming back, Palmer Foes supposed to coming back in London yep. too. We'll have a much improved side, and I think that'll be where where it all starts to kick off for us. Congratulations to Kenya getting their first ever oh, that win. That was sensational to watch in the final. They just came out absolutely fired up. Um, for the women, though, I mean, the, the interesting point out of that, I think, is England. England winning mm. the tournament and, and having a sort of another challenger for, for us to us for the gold medal, I think, um, come and state their claims. And you've you got to think with Great Britain, they'll be having the, the Scottish um, girls come in as well. Uh, as the Welsh, so it, it'll be a pretty decent side they'll put forward. So I think um, New Zealand are obviously there, Fiji a good side, but um, so there's a few there's a few contenders there. I, I don't think it's going to be the cakewalk that um, some people think it might be for our women. Yeah, indeed, I, it'll be a great challenge, but they'll be back refreshed. I just want to point out that in that 12-person squad in that Australian women's team, five were from Toowoomba. Little Western Queensland, or you know, not too far west, but a couple of hours west of Brisbane, five from Toowoomba, which I find is astronomical. Um, the other bit of Australian rugby news was the under-20 squad was named. So obviously the World Cup's a bit later this year, but 
there's an Oceania Challenge versus New Zealand at Bond Uni, which is at next month. Um, and a pretty handy side, bit of super rugby um, experience there. A lot of Reds players, Luke and Chewy, who made his debut in the weekend. James Tuttle did as well. And Campbell Magne, the big redhead centre. And then the other big, strong, powerful running centre from the Rebels, Sione Tuapalutu, uh, in the squad too, as well as a number of names. I'm, I'm sure a lot of rugby fans will know, so I'm, we'll cover that for the side as well. But that's uh, a big year. This is probably the strongest squad Australia has had for under-20s for a while, I'd suggest. So uh, they've disappointed for quite a while. I think the last time we won might have been back when Ant Flyinga was captain um, and Phil Mooney was coach, I could be proved wrong there, but it's been a while, so let's hope the uh, under-20s step up this year. Um, anything else, boys, before I leave, Matt? Well, actually, I do have a few announcements, Rich. One is that um, we're upping our game on Instagram. So yep. if, uh, if you're under 50, you might have heard of this uh, social media platform. Um, so uh, it's been going for a few years now. It's probably almost out of fashion. So it's time for Green and God Rugby to get on board. Um, <laughs> And we have done, so we're setting up our game. For example, today you'd be able to see a uh, fetching picture of Richie McCaw uh, accepting an award in his, uh, you know, black, you know, black and black tie, wearing uh, his trainers. <laughs> um, it was just a stunning look at the Lawrence Awards. Anyway, so you'll see that on uh, Green and Gold Rugby. It's just Green and Gold Rugby on Instagram. So sign on into that. Um, do we get? Yeah. Do we get? Do we get some snaps from the from the? Um Rowley super yacht that's more somewhere at the, <laughs> off the coast somewhere at the moment. I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Um, <laughs> but then moving right on into um, a few weeks back, we asked for, and I think we had a bit of a, a, a bit of a laugh about some of the reviews on uh, iTunes um, with our favourite from Magnotus Forty Eight about the East Coast elitist boys club. Um, but I just wanted to read out some of the other ones. We got uh, good work from Decker. Um, Decker 03 um, saying, hey guys, not sure it took me so long to listen to your podcast. Great work at depth and coverage on topics. Look, just while we talk about that, I do often think, um, you know, we've got, I feel we've got a fairly uh, sort of loyal following out there um, of uh, aficionados. And it's just, I just wonder if everybody just pinged the podcast to one mate. You've got to have a mate out there somewhere who loves either wanging on and rugby or both those two things together. Um, it's very easy to share the podcast these days. So look, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be, you, you can stop the podcast right now, share it with a mate, um, and, um, you know, and then turn us back on and we'll still be here waiting for you. Um, but look, so good work from Decker, the, um, ECEBC. Um, from from Maddie JK, uh, where else are you going to hear an East Coast elitist boys club wang on about rugby in an amateuristic fashion? That's quite true, Maddie. Thanks for that. Um, you know, informative, enjoyable, funny, and current from Be Angry, um, the best in this area um, from Mark Manus. Um, <laughs> okay, a little bit East Coast, but still good from Jog. And then uh, what have we got? We've got Great, as in GR8 Rugby Podcast from Will the Red. Uh, fantastic from and from fantastic from Baldwin. So these are all people who um, reacted for, for our last call out for some uh, ratings. So thanks for those. Um, and look, Matt, look, ironing up, I only wrote six of those. Um, so. <laughs> I like how you managed to start. You, you got so sick of bored, you just started to abbreviate. Yeah, well, you've got to mix it up, make it look like it's different people doing it. You know, I'd, I'd actually had one in Japanese that I'd written out as well, just to make it look like we had a bit of the foreign audience. Yeah. Um, good for the sponsors, you know, that sort of thing. Also, I am looking for personal sponsors. If anyone wants to sponsor <laughs> me personally, um, 
more than happy to weave in a bit of product integration um, into into my analysis and stuff. So um, yeah, l let me know Any, anything. It, it, you know, preferably sort of European cars and that sort of thing. But um, look, happy happy to go with anything. I, I can see I can see you doing Tesla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, stuff like you know, like Israel Falas' performance on the weekend was the smooth control and handling of a Mercedes <laughs> C class. You know, that sort of thing. Look at that, seamless. So subtle. All right, excellent. Hugh, anything else you want to hand over other than uh, product endorsements? No, no, I think I think that's it for this week. Um, yeah, only is six weeks till the Wallabies. Jeez. Oh, it's something like that. It's ridiculous. I, it's I think very the tickets close. go on sale um, for the wider public, I think, on the 27th. So make sure you get there because I think they'll be snapped up. It's going to be sensational. They've got to be gone by now, haven't they? I, I don't know how many pre-sales there were. I kept getting email after email saying, yeah. make sure you get, you know, get into the next pre-sale. I think... I. I could be wrong here, but I thought they've been gone for a little while now. But we'll see. There's three or four, but there's there is a general public one. Yeah, they, they yeah. leave some back for the general public. So um, okay. Yeah. All right, excellent. Thanks for your time, everyone. We uh, appreciate your support and, and all the great comments that as Matt's read out and more. Uh, send us on to your mates and let them know about Green and Gold Rugby on social media and the podcast and the site as well. Get out and support the rugby this weekend, whether it be Super Rugby or Club or whatever. And uh, once again, we'll speak to you next week.